Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And uh, the reason you see that screen up there is I wanted to uh, share something with you. Uh, last uh, couple of days, I think it was over the weekend, possibly, uh, Chris Leto and I did a part one and part two of the UFO hearings breakdown. And part part one is on his, his uh, YouTube channel, which is called The Leto Files. And part two is on mine. And check those videos out. If it's on the YouTube channel only on his YouTube channel, it's not as a podcast. But anyway, we have a lot of fun. Chris is always a great guy to talk to, uh, especially about these type of things. So so uh, check that out when you get a chance. The guest for the for the evening is Dan Ferrari, and uh, he had a UFO sighting when he was young, got him interested in the topic. And his father remained rather, his father who was in the military, remained rather mysterious about uh, what his thoughts were. And possibly there was some type of inside connection that he may have had in the military. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And he also has a sci-fi book out uh, after they came. I believe it's along the title of that, along that lines. And um, it's basically based on a person down on his luck deciding to end it all, being... Um, abducted more or less. And then, um, you know, uh, they, uh, it's changing mankind. It's something like that. I didn't get a chance to even breeze through the book, so I'm not really sure, but, um, I do want to talk to him mostly about his UFO sightings and then we'll get into the book later on. So our blog, uh, this week is, uh, it's actually part two from last week, letters from the Island principles and the mercy said, UFO Bulletin Part 2, another one by the great uh, Charles Lear. Those are made, I'm a little bit backed up in the audio blogs, but we put those up in audio blogs. So I want to thank you all for participating, watching tonight. We do have chat. If you have a question for our guest, please put it in all caps. And I am ready to bring him in. Dan, welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Martin. Very nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, and you showed up at the very last second. Wow. I mean, literally 15 seconds. I'm very punctual. I actually got that from my father. May he rest in peace. <laughs> to show up right at the last second? Oh, Something second, about right? it, huh? My dad could show up on any door anywhere on the planet Earth within 10 seconds of what time he said he was going to be there. He just had an accident. <laughs> well, that was that was close. But thank you so much for joining us. And uh, that's quite a background you have. Uh, I'm seeing, I see those uh, electric drums and all kinds of things going on. You were a publicist for many years. You were into the music scene, right? Sure. I can give you a little background if you'd like. So uh, uh, my name is Dan Harari. I've been a Hollywood publicist, Martin, for 40 years, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. 40 years. In January, it'll be 40 years. The pictures you see on my walls behind me are pictures of me with very famous people from the last 40 years. And all of them appear in my first book. My first book actually came out last year. I became an author last year. My first book is called Flirting with Fame, a Hollywood publicist recounts 50 years of celebrity close encounters. Huh. And uh, the reason I put 50 years is, so I've been in Hollywood for 40 years, but when I was in high school in the early 70s, and I had very long hair, and I was a drummer. You can see my electronic drums behind me here. Um, I worked for a concert hall, and I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And who's from Asbury Park that's famous now? Bruce Springsteen. So believe it or not, in 1973, when I was 16, I worked with Bruce Springsteen, and right when he was forming the E Street Band, and he, uh, my best friend and I did his stage crew and his lighting for a couple of shows in Asbury Park. And so I knew Bruce Springsteen, you know, two years before Born to Run. So two years before anyone else ever heard of him. Um, so that's the pictures on the wall. It's me with Spielberg, Jerry Seinfeld, Mel Brooks, Steve Allen, Sid Caesar, Stallone, Tom Hanks, lots of famous people I've met over the years. Um, but I am um, a Hollywood. Yeah, I saw the one with. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. You, did, you had it with uh, Spielberg, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. You never got to play the drums. Here's a picture of you. On the drum set years ago, you never played drums with with Bruce, did you? <laughs> I'll tell you a, an unbelievable story. You won't believe it, but this is a true story. Okay, so I worked with Bruce in '73 when I was a junior, 
a year later, in 74, my senior year of high school, I'm, all, I'm 17, a very good friend of mine was in gym class with me. He, we were in gym class together playing the handball, I remember. And he goes, hey, Daddy, Bruce Springsteen is auditioning drummers for his band. Huh? Because this friend of mine was friends with Bruce Springsteen, actual friends with Bruce. And he goes, he's auditioning drummers. What, what do you think about trying out? And Martin and I said, you know, man, I'm into Led Zeppelin and, and Cream and, and The Who. I'm not into Bruce's music, so I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. I passed. <laughs> didn't, even wow. occur, wow. didn't even occur to me to audition. So yeah. That says it all, man. It says it all. That's that's like the people that rejected the Beatles, you know. The, Deco Deco you know. Records rejected the Beatles. Yep. Yeah. 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 Pretty funny. Pretty funny. Well, okay. I would like to hear about you had you had a few sightings, and um, I love to tell. Uh, I love people to tell their stories about sightings, and uh, sure. uh, you were with your dad with uh, one in particular, um, and I want to also talk about what your thoughts were about your dad and what he may or may not have known behind the scenes. Absolutely great. And I really appreciate the question. So again, I grew up just near Asbury Park, New Jersey, the Jersey Shore. Um, my dad and my mom <clears throat> were both from Brooklyn and they got married in 1952. They moved to Asbury Park. And, uh, and then a few years later, they moved to what's called West Deal, which is adjacent to Asbury Park. But my dad was an electronics engineer for the U.S. Army. He worked at Fort Monmouth, which was an Army base. And he worked there from 1951 until 1996, for 45 years till he retired. And my dad designed and helped invent different missile systems and drones and radar systems. He once told me that he was in on the very earliest days of, of uh, the U.S. military designing drones. Okay, so let's keep that part in mind. Okay, so now here we go. March 1970, the Jersey Shore. I, I'm uh, done with school. I think it was Hebrew school, I believe it or not. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Hebrew school. My dad picked me up from Hebrew school. It was about four o'clock on a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was daylight out still so i'm in my dad's car 1970 i'm 14 driving home on the suburban street in new jersey and i saw through the windshield of my father's car right above my father's car an enormous silver letter v like victor craft just hovering just right over my father's car going incredibly slowly maybe two three hundred feet in the air no noise, no sound of any kind, no exhaust, no propellers, nothing, just a, a V, just the letter V like this. Hmm. So I, I saw it through the windshield, so I'm, I go, Dad, look, there's a UFO, a UFO. Dad, stop the car, UFO, stop the car, stop the car. So my dad stopped the car. He and I got out. We walked around to the front of the car. We both looked straight up, Martin, literally above our heads. And I was going, Dad, Dad, look. Dad, look, this is so cool. This is so cool. I'm going to tell all my friends, this is so great. Isn't this great? Isn't this great, Dad? Isn't this great? And Martin, he looked at it like he was looking at a head of lettuce in the supermarket. No expression on his face whatsoever. Nothing. Huh? Nothing whatsoever. No interest. No fear. No joy, excitement. No things were on, no things on his face at all. So, um, yeah. He just looked at it like, like, da, 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 da. And then, he, he looked down at me. He winked at me. That was very cool. He winked at me and said, come on, kid, let's go home. We went home. I called the local newspaper. I remember the phone call. It was on a rotary phone. This is 1970. Oh, yeah. We didn't yep. have a button yet. And the lady said, young, uh, son, uh, she goes, young man, I can't talk to you now. I'm getting hundreds of phone calls about this sighting. I, I can't talk to you right now. Uh, keep your eyes out open in the paper, right? So every day that week, Martin, I checked the paper, Asbury Park Press. Nothing, no story, nothing, nothing, nothing. Now, the big picture about that sighting is the following. I completely and totally forgot that that event happened for 47 years until my dad passed away. My dad passed away in April 2017 um, in Florida. 
Um, I was a couple of days after his death. I was, went to a deli in West. There's my dad. That's I'm one year old in that picture. I love. That's my, probably my favorite picture. That's 1957. You see that my dad with his pens and his pencils in his pocket. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay? I never in my life saw him without pens and pencils in his pocket. <laughs> Even on weekends and holidays, my dad was the prototypical science nerd. He always had pens and pencils, always his life. So anyway, 2017, my dad passed. I'm very sad. I went to get a pastrami sandwich at a deli. I ordered the sandwich. I'm sitting there waiting at the table, and I swear to you this is true. I'm just sitting there thinking about my dad, and something from heaven or God or my dad is an angel or something from the universe came through the window of the deli into my brain like like sort of like a little beam of light and and I played for me in my brain the 1970 sighting I had with my father I saw it as a movie I saw it oh. as a movie I forgot Martin I forgot about it for 47 years I I've saw heard that I've heard of people saying that not 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 getting it back like you but I've heard of people saying that they Totally forgot about a UFO sighting until something it. and then so, they remembered all the details. It's, a, it's a, exactly right, and I I kind of think maybe because I believe my dad's in heaven that maybe my dad sent me this memory. I, I'm telling you the truth, you know, honestly. People, some people don't believe me, but it's absolutely true because I forgot about it, and I saw like a movie. That we pulled over the car, we got out, I'm jumping up and down, I saw the crap, I saw my dad's face, and then I remembered my dad winked at me. Now, this is 2017, and as I'm waiting for my pastrami sandwich, Martin, I'm like, wow, my dad must have known what that was. Right? Mm -hmm. My dad worked for the Army at a military base. He had top, he was a GS-13, which is a very high level uh, for a civilian. He was, not, he was not in military. He was a civilian engineer, but very high level. I know he had top secret clearance because he used to tell me and my mother, you know, I can't ever tell you guys anything about my job. You know that, right? He looked at it with no, like no surprise, no surprise at all. And he winked at me. So as I'm waiting for the sandwich, I realized for the first time in my life that my dad must have known what that craft was. I truly believe that. Now, now we come to the part about my mother. My mother is 88. She's still alive. So after I had the memory come back, I called my mother. I said, Mom, did Dad ever talk about UFOs? She said, no. But when he started at this job at Fort Monmouth, they took him deep into the vaults there. They showed him something top secret. She said he came home that night white, pale, and shaky. And... She said to him, honey, what's wrong? And he said, I saw, I saw something today. It's top secret, and I can never tell you about it ever. And he never did. My mother thinks he saw something futuristic. She doesn't think he saw an alien. I think he may have seen some recovered alien technology. This is my theory. Mm -hmm. And when I told my mother about the Silver V, just, just the other day I was describing it to her. She goes, she goes you know, your father invented drones that were very futuristic looking and spied on our enemies. So Martin, I think the V that I saw with my father, I'm not saying he designed or built that particular one, but I believe, because it was so close to the military base, I think it was a drone that my dad was involved with in some way. He looked at it as though he were familiar with it. And uh, I think perhaps he had something to do with the technology of that craft. So I believe that that UFO in 70 was a man-made military craft. Huh. How about that? Um, you know, you said, you, you said from what you could recall, of course, this is after so many years, that it didn't make any noise. You remember it didn't make any noise. It was moving very slowly. You didn't see any propulsion, uh, visible propulsion. How would think that this thing would be at all or anything. I mean, I know you can't, I mean, they don't have any drones like that now that I'm aware of. Maybe they do, but uh, you know, it seems like if that was a d drone developed back then that could uh, float or hover or whatever, it seems like it would be in use by now. Well, it well could be, it well could be. I mean, 
the bigger question, Martin, I guess, is, you know, there are so many UFO and U UAP sightings around the world. You know this better than me. Every year, every country around the world, not everything is from, uh, not everything we see up there is alien. I believe at least a third is. But, you know, this craft, based on my dad's reaction, I'm just going, based on my dad's reaction, what my dad did his whole life for work, the fact that I know because I saw the movie in my head and, and uh, like as clear as I'm looking at you right now, it played in my head. Exactly. The colors, the, the, the day, the sunlight, the clouds, everything. It was just hovering. It just was floating. It was just, it wasn't zoom, you know, it was just yeah. very leisurely. And then it just went over my whole neighborhood. Yeah. Now this is interesting. A few weeks ago, there was an article about me and deciding in the daily mail newspaper in England, which is online. Mm -hmm. And I got I got an email from someone from New Jersey. This is a couple of weeks ago. And he said, Dan, I read about you and your father's sighting in 1970. He said, my three older siblings saw the exact same craft in March 1970. We were one or two towns over from where you lived with your father. There it is. He said, we were my siblings were a couple of towns over. They saw the same exact thing and their whole lives. They've been waiting for verification. They said, thanks for that article, because now they know that they weren't crazy. So wow. I, was not, I was not the only person that saw that. Other people in the world saw that. Yeah, that's uh, validation for yourself as well. So, so, so yeah, yeah, so I know I know that happened, because I remember it very, very vividly. Yeah. Um, and again, after my dad passed away for the first time ever, the, whole, the, not a, the scene came to me, his reaction came to me. And I put two and two together based on my dad's career. And I know he was very heavily into, into uh, the development of, of drones from, from the 50s on. He was early part of developing drones. So perhaps, you know, look, I don't think that was an alien craft. I, I, it could have been. I think if it was alien, I think my dad would have shown like some sort of surprise or something. <laughs> But I'm telling you, man, he looked at it like he was looking at his car getting gassed up at the gas station. So and, and uh, could that have been tested that nearby you? I mean, is that did he work at a military base? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So he worked at Fort Monmouth military base. Oh, yes. You said that. I'm sorry. Yes. And, and mm. in fact, in fact, my neighborhood was right next to. Um, a huge, huge open field. And I remember they, I think they called the field, the, the something testing, testing grounds, or it was just a huge open field, many, many acres of land. They never did anything with it when I was a child back there. And they called it the testing grounds. I, said, I don't know, maybe they launched it from that. wherever it came from. I truly believe it came from very close nearby my, my house. Now you say like the letter V, did it have, uh, like a structure as the, like, just say, did it look just like a, a bold leather letter V in the sky, you know, or did, was it connected? It wasn't like a triangle. It had like a V and then it goes off into two arms. Right. Exactly. Literally giant silver letter V. No, it was not a close triangle. I do remember there was a light on each of the three points. That's what I was going to ask you because um, there's a lot of the sightings. They say there's a, a light on each point, and uh, I'm just going to let's see. There are there's uh, a craft. A, a lot of people said like the Phoenix lights. I don't know if you've looked into other you know sightings, but like the Phoenix light. Oh yes, of course, because you were involved in MUFON and all kinds of things. So. Um, I forgot I, I, about I, all that. You have a background in, in uh, basically looking into the UFO world. Since yeah, since 2007 is when I became a I'd say a UFO enthusiast. Was 2007 um, the Phoenix Lights? I believe that craft. If it if it was one craft, I believe it was many 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 times larger than the one I saw. Was okay. it something like, here's a picture, Is this, was it something along the lines, except, you know, with the lights at all extremities instead of the, the center ones, too? Okay, so the same shape, yes, 
the one I saw again was silver, shiny silver, shiny, yeah. shiny silver. Hmm. One light on the tip and the end tip and the end tip. Um, now, the one you're showing me here looks like it's pointing up toward to go straight up. The one I saw, Martin, was flat. It was, it was flying horizontally, completely, yeah. completely horizontally. Now, but, so, but the same shape, the same exact, yes, the same shape you're showing me, that's what I saw. Yeah. And this was a daylight sighting, but you saw the lights were on? Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Well, that's interesting. And you had two more sightings. Would you like to talk about? Sure, sure. And, and again, and then we'll get to the book because when I got that beam from my angel father, let's say, and saw the movie in my head, I got the whole premise of to write the, my book. And we'll get, we'll get to that after I tell you about the other thing. But my book was born while I was waiting for that pastrami sandwich. Because right after I saw the movie, I got a pen and I started jotting down notes on the placemat at the deli huh. about writing this particular book. So this book was given birth unto me. Like, like it, it was a spirit, something. You know, Paul McCartney once said um, he dreamed the song yesterday. He, he, he dreamed the song yesterday. He woke up and he played it on the piano because it. He got it from a dream, and he's always said that he dreamed that song. I was given this memory as a gift. I'm telling you, it was a gift to relive this memory with my dad. It was a gift from above, and then it triggered the birth of my book. Okay, anyway, so that was 1970, the first sighting. And again, I completely and totally forgot about it. I was a drummer then in eighth grade. Um, I was in rock bands. My bands played at parties and dances and, and, and bar mitzvahs and all those things. And my friends and I were chasing little girls around. So when I'm 14 and on, you know, I wasn't really thinking about aliens and UFOs. I was thinking about rock and roll and girls in, in, in miniskirts. I mean, that's what I was doing. I, so that's why the memory just didn't stick because my dad never talked about it. Nothing ran in the newspaper. And I was playing uh, Beatles songs at eighth grade dances. So that, that's part of why I forgot that. All right, now we jump to 1998, uh, no, 1996. I always do that wrong, 1996. I moved out to LA from the East Coast in 1980 when I was 24. And I got into the entertainment industry. I got married, I had two kids, I got divorced. And then my ex-wife and my two kids when they were small, moved from LA proper to Lancaster, California. Lancaster is the high desert. And it's actually, my ex-wife lived not far from Edwards Air Force Base. So in 1996, my son was eight. I used to visit my children every single weekend after my divorce when they were small. That's great. My son was eight, I bought him a telescope for his birthday. I brought it out to Lancaster. That night of his birthday, we're looking up in the sky through the telescope and we saw Saturn and Mars and the moon and all these wonderful things. And then as I was going to put him to bed, I noticed in the far right corner of the sky, an egg shaped object that was very bright, egg shaped object, very bright, sort of off yellow, off white color. And it was in the far right of the sky and it went in a straight line all the way across the entirety of the sky, as far as I could see, in a straight line. Straight line all the way across. Okay, mm -hmm. then it stopped in place. Which hand is this? Stopped, stopped in place for about 20, 30 seconds. And then it went all the way back, the same uh, the same route that it came from. I can't do that with my hands. And my but um, so it appeared, went all the way across the sky, stopped for 30 seconds, and then went all the way back the same way it came from. And I told my son, on the first path, I said, Jordan, there's a satellite. We're seeing the satellite. It had to be. But after it stopped and reversed course, then I thought, wow, um, this, this isn't a satellite or an asteroid or a meteor. This must be something remarkable. I don't think it's man-made, and I don't think it's from nature. I think this was a, an alien craft. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it, sure, it sure narrows it down that it can't be, you know, something of ours that we know of, you know, when it does that especially, it sounds like this is very high altitude, right? It was very high. It was very high. Now, recently, um, you know who Jimmy Church is? I'm sure you yeah. know Jimmy Church. Yeah. I did an interview with Jimmy Church about a month ago, told him that story, 
And he said, Dan, he goes, you know, Edwards Air Force Base is right there and they test military craft all the time. And I said, well, you know, I think you're right. I think it was from Edwards. It would look like, Martin, the way it flew, because it flew, stopped, and it reversed. It looked like it was being tested. It could have been man-made craft with extraterrestrial technology. Uh, that's what I think. I think it was a man-made craft using extraterrestrial technology. Because the way it flew very quickly, stopped, and reversed course, I couldn't imagine any other object, plane or helicopter or missile, nothing else I could think of that could possibly do that. Hmm. Yep. That's, that's pretty interesting. I had, um, you know, I've had my one sighting and then I'm very careful about everything to even talk about, but I have had a couple of things that were mysterious and it's kind of funny. I, I end, uh, I end every show with keep your eyes to the sky. Well, I, I practice what I preach. You know, I'm all, always looking up in the sky, no matter if I'm driving, you know, like, of course, not while I'm driving. But I mean, I have uh, what is it called? A panoramic roof in my car. And, uh, you know, but I'm always uh, watching for for things. And uh, before I had my UFO sighting, I I would, you know, glance or whatever. But I wasn't always looking to the sky. So uh, when you are paying attention you see a lot more and, but I've seen some things and I'm thinking everything that I've seen is most likely explainable, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, one of them was pretty interesting, but I, I still, I'm hesitant to say, you know, Hey, everybody, I saw another UFO, you know, and uh, it maybe it wasn't identified to me, but it probably was something explainable. That's how I feel. Okay. Uh, yeah, I understand. You know, I think, the younger generation today, they're looking down. Why? Because they're looking at their phones. Their phones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you and I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm older than you, but I think our era, we were more outdoorsy and we played outdoors when we were kids. And um, You know, we take a hike and you look at the sky. You know, my daughter's 33. God bless her. She lives on her phone. So, yeah. you know, I say, you know, you should look, maybe look up every once in a while. You know, maybe look up a little bit. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, yeah. A, a doctor's waiting room uh, recently. Oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And I was looking, it was all people my age and older and every single one of them was staring at their phone. <laughs> so it's not, it's not just young people. It's like anyone that has yeah. a phone there, they are like, you get all the information in the world. It's right there in your hand and it's, it's hard to break away. There's probably people watching YouTube right now, watching us on their phone. You know I mean? It, it's uh yeah. It's like crack. Yeah. Phones are like crack. <laughs> they are. Yeah. yeah. I'll be, I'll be honest. If I misplace my phone, I, I panic. I'll pass. Oh, I know. I know. We're, it's our connection, our leash to the world. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So I did the 70, I did 96. Now we come to the year 2007. Um, I was in a, uh, I was in a bookstore in LA in a bookstore waiting for a friend to go see a movie. And I just was walking around this bookstore to kill time, and I saw the paranormal books aisle. And for whatever reason, my entire life up till that point, I never saw a paranormal books aisle before. Hmm. And there were hundreds of books, UFOs, aliens, outer space, Bigfoot, ghosts, poltergeists, spirits, witches, you know, all, all these, you know, all off-the-wall things. But they were, they were all fascinating topics. Hmm. And I just had never seen them before. So I just was like, well, I'm going to get this and this, the history of Bigfoot, the history of ufology, Richard Dolan's book about disclosure. I just, I did all these, I just bought, I bought a huge pile of books. I went to all books that day, went home, I read them all. And I'm like, okay, I'm a fairly intelligent person. I'm pretty, you know, I, I'm well-educated. I know nothing about any of this paranormal. I know no things zero information and there's a whole world here in front of me mm -hmm. so in 07 i joined mufon la same year 07 my very first and they have meetings every month and martin the very first meeting i went to i was i was blessed because you know giorgio zucalos from oh yeah, yeah. everyone knows giorgio with the crazy black hair oh yeah yeah he, he gave a lecture at my very first uh mufon meeting about ancient alien theory 
that he is a proponent of, that Eric von Daniken essentially crafted in 1968 in Chariots of the Gods. And he gave a, an hour and a half lecture with slides and videos and, 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 and still pictures of, of cave drawings, you know, aliens and UFOs and cave drawings and, and petroglyphs carved in stone by American Indians mm-hmm. and, and UFOs in Renaissance paintings. Um, and then, of course, the pyramids in Egypt, the, the structures in Central and South America, Stonehenge, um, Roswell. It just, it just, it, in an hour and a half, it was essentially the history of, oh, biblical, biblical references, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. or the wheel within the wheel when he was sleeping. And he just, he did like UFO, UFO, ufology's greatest hits in 90 minutes. And I'm telling you, Martin, I was at the edge of my seat and I was crying. I was like, I had tears. I'm like, oh my God, this is the greatest information I've ever heard in my life. This was like going to a master class of life all at once. So at the end of the lecture, I went up to Giorgio. I shook his hand. I hugged him. I said, Giorgio, I said, you just changed my out- outlook on my entire life. And, and it hmm. did. It really did. Since then, I've been studying and reading and going to meetings and meeting people. I've read hundreds of books. I've seen dozens of documentaries. I've been a member of MUFON ever since then, and um, just it, it just opened my eyes. That brings us to my third sighting. So a year later, 2008, at a UFO at a MUFON meeting, was uh, James Gilliland. Do you know who James is? I've heard the name. He does the uh, yeah the C SETI thing. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So James Gilliland did a lecture MUFON LA 2008. He owns Isetti Ranch in Washington State at the base of Mount Adams. And it's a world-famous UFO hotspot for sightings. It's been mm-hmm. a hotspot for sightings apparently for hundreds of years. The American Indians who used to live there called Mount Adams the, the mountain of shining light because they used to see lights coming and going from Mount Adams. Hmm. So he gave a lecture about his ranch, and he said, you know, this is Fourth of July weekend. I'm doing a three-day open house UFO seminars during the day, and we're going to look at the skies at night. So I was with a girlfriend at the time named Barbara, and I said, Barbara, can we please go do this together? She goes, oh, okay, you and your UFOs, okay. So we spent three days at James Gilliland's ranch, Fourth of July, 2008. And during the days, it was people like William Henry and, and Nick Pope and, and uh, documentary films and slideshows and biblical references and the pyramids and orbs and all these wonderful things. And at night, they would build a bonfire and people would dance around the bonfire, play guitars and, and tambourine and chant and sing. And it was very lovely outdoors at night and huge open sky, crystal clear. You could see every star perfectly. So the first night, I think it was a Friday night, and we're all out there for hours and hours. And when you're looking out for hours, your neck kind of gets a little bit tired, Martin, after a while. So the first night, Friday night, we're looking, looking, nothing. The next day, Saturday, more lectures, more films. We're looking up Saturday night, looking at the sky, hours and hours, absolutely nothing. The third day, Sunday, lectures, films. Sunday night, we're looking up again, nothing. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, you know what, why don't we leave early? We could beat the traffic because there were probably 300 people there. Mm. No sooner did I say that, Martin, than out of absolutely nowhere, a, a fairly medium-sized uh, object, it looked like a black teardrop, it appeared. It just appeared directly above our heads. So let's say mm. 200, 300 people and a couple hundred feet, black teardrop directly over our heads. I remember it cut off the moonlight. So, so it was fairly large. And then mm. on the, the underneath part of the craft was a brilliant emerald green light that turned on and off like this above us several times wow. like, like, hello, how are you? We're here. We know you've been waiting for us. We hope you have a nice evening. We love you. You know, everything's cool. Uh, we just thought, you know, we were in the neighborhood. We thought we'd say hello, right? So flashing on and off. Mm-hmm. Brilliant emerald green, like the green from the Emerald City and the Wizard of Oz movie, that color. And then it turned off, the light turned off, and the craft phew, 
it just it, it shot away, it just vanished. Wow. It didn't, it didn't slowly, it took off. And, and I cried. I cried. People were crying. People were hugging and kissing. And I'm telling you, man, that, that was not man-made. That How many was people did you say that witnessed that? At least, at least 200, 250 people, at least. Wow. And it was a group. It was a group sighting. And like I said, seriously, people were crying. People, I cried. I was touched. I can still feel it in my. I can still feel it right here in my mm. heart. It was a warm, profound mess, message. You know, um, communication, interaction. And I'm telling you, man, that thing was not invented by my father or the military. This was something warm and wonderful and and life and living this was not a military craft uh, I, I know it in my heart this was this was them so i so my third ufo i can honestly tell you with with from the bottom of my heart i believe that was extraterrestrial craft you know it's always curious and i had uh brandon fugel on last week from the skinwalker ranch it's always curious why they're hot spots you know, uh, and the different theories of why that is so. Uh, so this is right at the base of Mount Adams. I'm wondering geologically if there's anything interesting about that area or the mountain itself. Uh, well, well, Kenneth Arnold sighting, Kenneth Arnold, June yeah. 47, was, I, I think it was at Mount Shasta, I think it was. It was in the, uh, in the uh, not the Cascades, in the, uh, or wait, wait a minute. Where was that? Was, no, that was in Mount Shasta. That was up in Washington, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. His all right. So Kenneth Arnold's sighting was at a mountain, and Mount Adams is part of the same range. It's part of the I same see. mountain range. Yeah. So, so there you have two. You know, I saw something. The Indians called it this, the Mountain of Shining Light. Kenneth Arnold saw something. I forget which mountain, but it's the same range in Washington State. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I. Look, if you want to believe there's an, there's a base there inside one of the one or more of the mountains, if there's a base there, I would believe that. I would absolutely believe that. Hmm. Why would the Indians call so, that uh, the mountain of shining light? Think about it, really. Why would they have done that? Yeah. You know, I, I spent a lot of time around Mount Shasta, and that that whole area that has this, it's like a mysterious area. I don't know how to describe it. I felt that way in two different places in the country that I visited. And at that time, I was not really into the UFO topic or anything when I was there. And I'd, I'd go there a number of times a year. Um, and then I was at Four Corners and that area felt really this, like a weird feeling in both areas. And somewhere in New Mexico was another time in the late 70s. And I do think you and I are about the same age. So I was uh, out there and I... But there are those places that you do like, you, I mean, at least I do. I get like this weird feeling. Shasta was one of those places. And I understand there's a lot of some type of activity going on there. There's a lot of people reporting, you know, seeing things in that area. I think there was an episode of Ancient Aliens. I believe that they did a look at Mount Shasta. I think I think you're right. You should go to the East City Ranch, Martin. You should, you know, go for a weekend. You'll see, you'll see, I'm pretty sure you'll see something now. Well, that would be fascinating. By the way, uh, speaking of going somewhere, I do believe at this point that I will be going to contact in the desert that's coming up on the very first uh, weekend, I believe in uh, June. So if anyone uh, plans on going there, uh, look me up. Uh, you can always email me at Martin at podcast UFO and, you know, maybe we'll do some type of uh audience and uh interview some people and have a little live audience or something somewhere so anyway I'll, I'll stay in touch on that and but anyway so this brings us to the point with uh of your book and right and how right. long did it take you to write it and and what basically you said kind of the genesis of the book was in that cafe that you spoke about um how did all that how did all that fall together all of a sudden like that it, 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 it. It was a gift. It, it, my book was a gift. And here it is, actually. Here, Nick, by the way, Nick, if you can see this, Nick Pope signed this copy of it for me. Oh, yeah. He gave, he gave me this quote. It's on the cover. It says, a delightful tale of wonder and hope, Nick Pope. So Nick Pope is my new friend. I met him recently. 
Yeah. Nice guy. So, um, okay, so my dad passed 2017. I had the memory, the, the vision of the, of the V craft. And I got a pen at this, at this deli and I wrote down on the paper, I wrote down, write a book. I put um, lead character, discovers his late father, worked on UFOs. I wrote that sentence down. And then I wrote capital A, capital T, capital C, those letters, and I didn't know what they were, Martin. I'm much like ATC. I'm like, okay, God, what is that? What does that mean? And I looked at it for a few minutes, and I'm like, they came. Like, I had aliens. They came. They came. After they came. Okay, after they came. And that was it. That was my title of my book. So I got my pastrami sandwich. I ate it, really inhaled it. I came home in the next eight months, 12, 15 hours a day for the next eight months, I wrote the hell out of this book. And that's how the book was born. It was inspired unto me. The storyline of the book is the following. I imagined a lead character who was down on his luck, hated his life. His company went bankrupt. His children don't speak to him. He's divorced. He's unlucky in love. He just hates his life. And on his 70th birthday, he decides to commit suicide because he just wants to be dead. He hates his life. So the first scene in the whole book is this guy. He drives out to Malibu. He takes a big bottle of vodka, a big bottle of sleeping pills. He drinks all the vodka, takes all the sleeping pills, takes off his clothes, goes out into the Pacific Ocean, swims out to sea, and all he wants to do is drown. All he wants to do is drown. As he's drowning, an enormous UFO craft comes up from, from the Pacific Ocean, comes out of the Pacific Ocean, directly above him, beams him on board, so saves his life, and then a huge, this is a huge, huge diamond-shaped, brilliant, multicolored craft, enormous. And it slowly hovers from Malibu all the way across Los Angeles, ending up at Dodger Stadium. And it goes to Dodger Stadium where it hovers for a while. While it's hovering there, the police, the fire engines, ambulances, media, military vehicles, cameras, microphones, all these people and technologies, they're all coming to the Dodger Stadium to record and, and witness this event. Clearly, aliens have arrived on Earth, and they're, they're here now. There's no mistake, because this is not a man-made craft, obviously. So all these uh, people show up at Dodger Stadium. The craft opens up two beautiful, tall, white, Nordic aliens, seven feet tall, long white hair, pale skin, blue eyes, shimmering silvery robes, slowly descend onto the infield. And they say, people of Earth, uh, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. We're here to help you. We love mankind. We've been here for tens of thousands of years. We helped create your civilization. We love you. And um, we felt now would be a good time for us to reveal ourselves so we can help you solve the problems that you have on Earth that you've been unable to solve all this time. Then they beam down this guy that they just saved, this naked guy. He's flopping around like a fish in this beam of light. And they say, we have a relationship with this man. Be kind to him. Respect him. If you have problems, Bring them to him. He will be our conduit to mankind. We will only work through him. This man is special to us. They lower the guy onto second base. They, the aliens get on the craft. The craft takes off. And now this guy, this naked guy, 70 years old on his birthday, is naked on second base at Dodger Stadium. And, and all the military and police and media, they're all uh, hovering over him. And he looks up and he has no idea what's happening isn't the slightest clue that's the first few scenes of, of 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 the of the story from there they take him to the white house he he meets the president and in my book i based the president on a african american woman in her 70s and i based her martin on oprah winfrey because when i first wrote this draft of the book there was a rumor that oprah was going to think about running for president i remember that yeah so this guy, his name is Jonathan Tuckerman. So Jonathan Tuckerman, they bring him to the president, who's sort of Oprah Winfrey. And she goes, Mr. Tuckerman, who the hell are you? You know, you were just 
you were just presented to the world on live global live TV by these beautiful, incredible aliens in a spaceship. Who are you? And and he goes, Madam President, I don't have the slightest idea what's happening. He goes, I do, all I do try to kill myself. All I wanted to be was dead right now. And instead I'm here with you and I just was saved by aliens. He goes, I have the slightest idea what's happening. Not the slightest clue. So anyway, the president sets this guy up in, at the UN. She gives him an office at the UN. He becomes the world's first interstellar ambassador. And he he's reunited with his children. He develops this team of, of people at the UN. And the aliens visit this guy once a month. They hover over the UN once a month for the next year. And each of the months of the next year, they say to him, Mr. Tuckerman, what, what do your people on Earth, what would they like us to do? Well, the first time he meets with them, he, he said, you know, let's, can, can you guys get rid of nuclear weapons? He goes, that would be a good one. Let's do that. Ah. It's a good start. Let's get rid of every nuclear weapon and every biological weapon on the earth, if I have a wish. And they say, okay, we can do that. That's no problem. And over the course of the next week, the alien craft goes all over the world, and it melt, essentially melts all these weapons, all every country, America, Russia, China, it, it, Israel. It just All countries are equally neutral. And at the end of that time, the New York Times has a huge banner that says no nuke. The biggest banner in the history of the New York Times. It says no nukes. <laughs> remember, yeah. the no nukes remember no nukes from the Oh, yes, they do. Sure. Yeah. You and I are the same age, right? Yeah. So that's the first month. So after the first month, people are coming to this guy, Mr. Tuckerman. Yeah, thank you. You got rid of nuclear weapons. This is incredible. The president's happy. Uh, the military of the U.S. is not happy. But yeah. Regular, regular, people, regular people are happy. Then the next month, um, he says, you know what? We're, there's, there are still people around the world that are starving. There are people in Africa and, and, and parts of the Middle East and parts of Asia that are, that are starving. There's no reason for anyone in Mexico. There are people that are starving on this planet. In this state. They go, don't worry about it. They go, have you ever heard of manna from heaven? Now, manna from heaven is in the Jewish Bible during the story of Moses and the Exodus. And so the character says to the aliens, you guys did manna from heaven? And they go, yeah. And then they go, who do you think parted the Red Sea? You think Moses parted the Red Sea? No, it was our people. He goes, you people parted the Red Sea for Moses? So then they provide manna from heaven for people around the world who are starving. And every month, something major. They provide clean water around the world. They provide a device that, that offers free energy so we don't need gas or oil or nuclear power anymore. Um, they eliminate the emotion of anger from human human beings, and in so doing, have human beings turn in their guns. People, human beings, no longer are angry or have a hatred, so they turn in their guns. And they, all over the world, they bury mountains of guns. So guns are eliminated. Um, they reverse climate change. They go around the planet and they fix the ozone layer, and they stop the melting of the polar ice caps. So every month for a year, this guy suggests to the aliens a major problem on Earth. And, and essentially, it's like the show I Dream a Genie with Larry Hagman and Barbara. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're like genies. And they go, okay, your wish is my yeah. yeah. And, and so a year later, Martin, so this guy on day one, he's drowning. Day, day one, he's drowning. One year later, exactly, he wins the Nobel Peace Prize. He's the most famous man in the world. He's friends with aliens. They call him the hero of Earth. And his best friend is the president of the United States. He falls in love with this woman, beautiful woman, who is his doctor, who, who um, he met the night he was abducted. And he fell in love with her. So a year later, his life is completely the opposite of what it was on page one. That's the first third of the book. The tribute part to my dad is in the second part of the book. And for the first year, people kept saying, Mr. Tuckerman, what you're doing with the aliens, this is great. This is fantastic. It's the greatest. It's a new age for mankind. But why did they pick you? There's 8 billion people in the world. Why did they pick you? And he goes, I don't have the slightest idea. So they keep asking him, don't you think it's time you ask them why you? So in the second third of the book, 
he goes to them. He goes, uh, excuse me. Thanks for everything you've done for me. You've changed my life in every positive way. Why did you pick? But why me? Why me? And it turns out that the aliens were friends with his parents 70 years earlier. And it turns out that his father, his late father, was a UFO researcher and a scientist working for the military. And his father had an interaction with a little baby alien and saved a little baby alien's life 70 years earlier. Something that the lead character didn't know, never knew, never knew. So these aliens are paying back to this guy a gift that his parents did for them 70 years earlier. And, wow. that's how I, and then I bring my dad in. I have my dad as though he were part of Project Blue Book. And I explain what Project Blue Book was. And I talk about my, the dad character in this book. It's essentially my, my father. So it, that's a tribute to my father. Well, I hate to say this, but we only have a minute to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, okay so, so please. Yeah. Here's, here's my book. It, it's been very well received. It's on Amazon, Kindle and print after they came, Dan Harari. And if you want to reach me, I am danhariauthor.com is my website, danhariauthor.com. Love to talk to anybody. I'm fascinated by all things aliens and UFOs. And I love people like Martin who have given me a platform to, to talk about this. And love to hear yeah. from anybody who has any thoughts, you know. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, the the thought of your behind your book is is really interesting and would be wonderful if it could happen, you know. And I think I think we we a lot of times people kind of wish, okay, save us, please save us, you know. Uh, I think that that's the way a, a lot of people have they at, that attitude that uh, we have to try how to save ourselves, you know. But anyway. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, Dan. Oh, it was great. It was so much fun. Thank you, Martin. I really appreciate it, man. Thank All right. you. Okay. You bet. Take care. All right, everyone. So we'll be back next week with Heidi Gad. And uh, I think that's about it. I can't think. There was something I was going to announce. Don't forget to check out the uh, YouTube videos on the channel here with uh, Chris Lito and myself. And thank you, everyone. And keep your eyes to the sky.